If I am a little subdued this morning, I woke up with a headache at about uh, 5 in the morning, so I had difficulty getting back to sleep, so I helped, took something to help me get back to sleep. About 7 o'clock, I didn't want to get up. So. <laughs> we are talking uh, about jobs uh, that Christ does, and uh, this, this month we've been talking about the jobs that illustrate uh, how Christ is the, the source. Christ is the direction of, of uh, well, the direction for us. And there are lots of different types of jobs. Uh, some jobs, um, by their very definition, explain the lack of something. What I mean by that is uh, that some jobs show that, that there is a need because, just by their very titles, that, that there's the opposite thing that exists. For example, uh, quality control. There is. I work in quality control. Well, quality control is a job that exists because it's automatically assumed there might be a lack of quality uh, in this whether we're making something or, or whatever the area is. There's a lack of quality routinely, so we need to have someone checking on the quality. So, so that, that title shows us the, the it, it's a reference really to the negative side of something, or uh, this is one that's interesting to me, uh, the humane society. Right? We have a humane society. Well, why is there a humane society? Oh, well, because people act inhumanely, right? Uh, now, uh, I do have a, that is kind of a misnomer, that's always been a, a misnomer to me, the Humane Society, because it's how we treat animals, which are not humans. Um, so I've always had a problem with treating animals like humans, so it should be called the Animal Society, not the Humane Society, because it has nothing to do with humans. But anyway, that's just a, that's a different thing. Uh, but we've been, we've been, uh, we started this text, I'm not going to go through the whole text of, of John 14, 1 through 6, I want to... Uh, look at, we said that we're going to look at three titles. We talked about uh, the way last week, and Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we talk about the truth, we automatically see, well, well, if Christ is the truth, well, why would he have the title, the truth? Well, because we automatically understand that there is something that is not truth. That Christ has to differentiate himself from, from those things which are, that are, are false, that are, that are lies around himself and around us. And so Christ says, I'm going to differentiate myself. I am the truth. And he's, in this passage, he was, just to, to reiterate, uh, he's, he's talking to his disciples and he says, listen, I'm going somewhere. And uh, you're not going to be able to go there, at least not yet. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to me later. And, uh, and, 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 and one of the disciples says, why don't you just tell us where you're going? Right? And, and, and the backdrop to this is, is there's a lot of heat in Jerusalem. And probably the disciples are assuming that, that um, you know, Jesus is going to go and start this thing again somewhere. You know, maybe, maybe he's going to go to Egypt. Or maybe he's going to go to Syria. Or maybe he's going to go somewhere. We can start. Just, just give us the directions and we'll catch up with you later. Uh, and Jesus has to explain, no, no, no. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay, okay, just tell us where that place is. No, 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 you know. And they just don't, don't get the concept that he's speaking spiritually. And he says, listen, I am the way. 
uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you, which he's talking about heaven. And if you want to get there, you're going to have to know me. That's the only way you can get there. You can get there by knowing me. Uh, Now, when we say that uh, Christ is the truth, I want to just explain a a quick concept before we get into this. Um, The very concept of truth is that which proves the existence of God. The concept of truth proves God. What do you mean by that? Well, if there was no right or wrong, you could not know right or wrong. All if all ideas were equally valid, in other words, the, the lack of truth. When Christ says, I am the truth, the concept of truth requires its own existence. And I know that sounds like circular reasoning, but, but let me give a... This morning, we all got out of bed. I know that because we're all here. And, and when you got out of bed this morning, none of you braced yourself just in case gravity would have pulled you sideways out the window. Right? None of us did that. Because... Gravity is a constant. We just exist and assume its own existence, right? We get out of bed, we don't even think about it. Uh, and so when we talk about, I mean, just some things are, we even have a, a document, these truths are self-evident. They don't need explanation. We don't have to, all men are created equal. You don't have to debate that. Do we, do we have to debate that? I mean, I guess at some point in time we've, we've had to debate that. Uh, but... But for the most part, we, we recognize these truths as self-evident. They don't need confirmation by an argument. It's just, we know this is true. So, uh, the very idea that, that there is a truth demands that there is a truth giver. We recognize truth as an absolute. I know this because you all get offended when you get lied to. Right? No one goes, well, neither do I. It's self-evident. I get offended when you lie about me. Or lie to me. It's self-evident. And Christ is truth. Now when I say Christ is truth, we, we, we say, well, what does that mean? Christ is truth. Because there's a lot of truthful statements. Now, I'm not talking about, not every truthful statement is connected to Christ. When, when we say, well, Christ is the sum total of all truth. That, that's not exactly correct. I was, um, I'll give you an example. I was uh, in a, uh, an audience, and one of my uh, teachers uh, from, from Bible college happened to be preaching. Um, this is after I graduated a while, and I was visiting. And uh, right in the middle of the sermon, he, he's, he he's, comes to the edge of the, of the podium, he looks down, and he says, quote, I'm wearing two different colored... I just broke his sermon. Just mid-thought, he goes, I'm wearing two different colored shoes today. I'm wearing a brown one and a black one. He had the identical pair of shoes. And he just, you know, put the wrong... the left and the right of the wrong color. Now, there was an observation of fact, right? I am wearing two different colored shoes. Has nothing to do with Christ. Nothing. Has no spiritual implication. Not every truthful observation is connected to Christ. So when Christ says, I am the truth, he's not saying every truthful statement, that's me. But we're talking about every every statement of truth that has to do with our spiritual existence and has to do with our source and and getting to God is going to be summed up in Christ and in nothing else. That's what he's saying. So, So I want to talk about how Christ 
is the truth? How Christ is the truth? Well, first of all, uh, we're going to, to look that he is the truth in substance. Uh, <clears throat> Colossians 1.15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's a, there's a statement in, in Romans that kind of goes along with this. It says, when we observe... When we observe nature, we're observing God. And we're without an excuse to act contrary to what we know, what is self-evident. Because, we, because the existence of God is self-evident. And Christ, the, the observant of creation is the observance of Christ. Because it was performed by Christ. And it shows his nature and his character. And it, but this passage goes on, he says, more than that, he is the substance of the church. Christ is the substance of the church. Everything exists for him. Not just the physical existence of things, but, but every structure he made, every, every authority structure he made, it exists for him and it, and it shows him in some way. Christ is then, when he says, I am the truth in substance, he's saying that, I am the underlying reality to everything. Everything you know and accept as real, if it is real, if you're not mistaken in how you interpret things, underneath that all, I am the substance of it. The church, the value of life, it all comes from me. I am the truth in substance. He is, secondarily, he is the truth in doctrine. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them which is due to their hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality. That's just a, sensuality is just a, another way of saying they've, they've, they've given themselves up to a, an emphasis of things that are physical. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught up about him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and so so here he connects and we've talked about this last week about being the way both internally and externally and how those affect each other the, the same thing is repeated now have you ever heard someone we've all heard this uh, quote somebody else out of context and you're like Wait a minute. 
Like, that's not what they said. And, and your first reaction, if you know that person who is being quoted, you're like, that doesn't sound like something they would say. Oh, no, they said this. And the first reaction should be, pause that. I would like the context of what they were saying. If you get the context, or if you go and you ask that person, like, wait a minute, that was not even close to what I said. I mean, those words, yes, came out of my mouth, but there was a lot of more that, that would explain what I meant. Right? Christ is the truth, and, and when, when Christ gets misrepresented, there should be something that goes off in our brain and goes, that doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like Christ. Christ is the truth. And we see here that, that because people misunderstood and because they didn't, take Christ in context and take the truth in context, it affected how they lived. In other words, uh, let me give you an example of one of the things that was, that was wrong in this. There were people that had come from uh, 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 one of the philosophies of, of Greece was called Epicurean. Epicurean was a uh, Epicurus was a man who thought, well, I mean, he took the, the Bible phrase, I mean, not that uh, he was familiar with the Bible, but if, if we compared it to an Old Testament saying, eat, drink, and be merry, okay, Solomon said that. Epicurus took that to be a rule for life. In other words, he took that all the way to the extreme, and basically, if it feels good, do it. That's Epicurus. That was... How you took, well, if you, if you took that statement and you made that your life's motto, right, then, then you would get to the point where what he says, they live sensually, they, they live for pleasure, that's all they live for. Well, they didn't understand the truth. There was a group of people and there were a group of Christians advocating this. Because they'd taken one statement and, and taken it out of context. And he said, listen, that affects the way you live. I am the truth. You have to understand me in context, Christ says. It's the doctrine. Christ is truth in doctrine. The truth is not just a merely a, a, a collection of, of true statements, but it's the underlying substance. Christ's identity. <coughs> Excuse me. Christ's identity and his death and his resurrection is a, is a thread that's woven throughout the entire scriptures. From, starting from the Old Testament, starting from Genesis chapter 3, there are references to what's coming. And that thread is the foundation of all truth. That's all important truth, again. And so... As a result, if you become familiar with Christ, you start to see um, how Christ influences teaching. There's a, there's a statement, I'm not sure I have it in here. Um, I do. It, and we know the story of Philip and the eunuch. And there's one statement that I love in this, in this more than any other uh, it says, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And, and 
it's just a small statement, and, and probably when we, we read through uh, this, this segment of verses about Philip and the eunuch, we probably miss this verse a lot. We, we look at a lot of the surrounding things, the being baptized and the, 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 the passage where he was reading. and <clears throat> We read a lot of things that are important. But what I like about this passage here is it illustrates something that, that Philip was able to start where anybody was and teach him the truth. When you know the truth and you, when you understand that it's not just a, a series of boxes and it's like, okay, we're going to open this box. This is this teaching box. Okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and here's how, okay, these are the verses about this doctrine. We close that and someone else has a question. So I, I go over here and I open up this box. I say, well, these are the verses about this. But, but Christ has woven a thread. And, and, and uh, it, it's like a loop. If you would think of it like a loop, you can get off of one spot and get off on another. And, and, and that's the way truth is. It's this loop where, where, where Philip could say, okay, here's a person that's here. And I understand the loop, so I understand where this person's at. And I can get on here and teach him everything else on this loop. Beginning where this man was, he taught him the good news of Christ. Everything was on that loop what I love about this passage. And when we understand the truth, that, that, that Christ is the truth, the more I am acquainted with Christ, the more I can say, well, here's a person that's here. This person's in a very dark place. This person might not be in a very dark place. This person might have theological questions, and this person might have emotional questions, and this person might know Christ. Learn Christ. And you can teach and develop. So Christ is the truth, the substance of doctrine. He is also the, the substance of promise. Uh, what I mean by that? Well, Hebrews says this. Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. And, and Hebrews is a comparison of the Old to New Testaments. And he says, so therefore it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he was on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Those would be, by the way, the reason Christ could not do that is he was not from the tribe of Levi. He would not have been allowed. He was of the tribe of Judah. They could not be priests. So he's a, he can't do that. He's a different kind of high priest. Now, they serve just a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. Is this thread. See, the thread is connected. When Moses was about to erect the tent, he instructed it by God saying, or he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since, since it is enacted on better promises. So, so there's, there's two things in this passage that are, that are really important as it talks to promises, about promises. First of all, he says Christ was the fulfillment. Christ is the, all those promises and everything from the Old Testament, he fulfilled that. He's the thread of that. He's the substance underneath that. But then he came along, established a new covenant, and gave us 
more and better promises. So all of these promises, whether under the old or the new, is Christ. He is the substance underneath it. What is your hope? That is Christ. It's interesting that the word promise is found in the Bible 118 times. And you will find that 18 of those are in the book of Hebrews alone. What does that have to do with anything? The book of Hebrews, as I said, is there to explain the connection between the Old and New Testament. That's the, the purpose, to, to explain the substance of the Old Testament. And so all throughout Hebrews, it's talking about promise and promise and promise and promise. And teaching them what your promise was is the substance of Christ. It's about Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. He's underneath it all. And so he establishes a greater covenant. Well, we know about the truth. We know how Christ is the truth. So we want to know the truth. Let's know the truth. Well, when you just say that, do you know the truth? Right? Usually people say, do you know the truth? Like, like they have the super secret thing that you have to learn. Right? I don't know the truth. I, I, I heard this week that uh, the, the, uh, one of the families uh, from Sandy Hook uh, won a lawsuit. At least initially it will probably be overturned. Uh, because a conspiracy theorist that was claiming that it was, a, it was all fake and their families were a part of this fake thing or whatever. Uh, they won a defamation of, uh, of character lawsuit or something to that effect. And uh, you, can't just, you can't just go accusing people of, of, of doing these things. And, uh, but, but see, uh, <clears throat> we have the truth and we know these little secret things. And people, do you know the truth? I, I know the truth. I'm a truther. We even have that phrase. I'm a truther. <laughs> Do you know the truth? Well, truth, again, or, or knowing, has to do with being familiar with. And when, you are, when we're talking about knowing the truth, uh, there is effort involved. There's an effort. I want to talk about the effort of truth. John 8, 31, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Um, relationships take effort. Right? Relationships take effort. If we take a passive approach to the truth, then you lose the promise of things. You know the truth, it will set you free. The implication is if you don't know the truth, you're not going to be set free. And so this passage actually requires a constant effort in a couple of different ways. It might be obvious, it might not be. Well, the obvious one is the word abide. Right? Abide is a, it means to live or to stay. If you live constantly, that's where you live, right? You said an abode is your home. That's another word for home. If you make your home in the truth, that's where I am continually. <clears throat> If you abide, if you stay in my truth, right, you're going to be free. But there's another way here that is, um, is a little bit interesting. He says, if you know the truth. To know the truth, the word know is an interesting word here. Now, 
because of the difference between English and, uh, um, and other languages, uh, things are not always obvious when you first read them. Uh, from what I can understand, this is a, a, a tense, a verb tense called um, middle indicative. What does that mean? Well, middle is a middle voice means to. It's not doing for you. It's not just simply doing something. It's it's to do for yourself. All right. So I, I do something for myself. And there's a, I always tell a funny story about this. Uh, the same preacher with the two shoes uh, was was uh, preaching uh, teaching a class, and he was explaining uh, middle voice. And he was talking about how uh, you know if you went into a barber shop, they could shave you. That would be active, right? I can talk about being shaved, and that would be if someone did it to me, but, but he said uh, to shave, middle voice would be if I was shaving myself. And then he went on and preached, the, the, he was preaching for you know, like five minutes and he was still shaving himself. And he just kind of forgot to stop shaving himself. So I always remember that when I talk about middle voice. But middle voice is to do something for yourself. He says, no, you shall know for yourself the truth. But, but indicative, indicative is, is another part of this verse, or of this verb. It's middle indicative. Indicative means um, it's not a one-time thing. Indicative would be like if I asked you what you do, like for your, what you do for a living, right? Well, I do this. That's indicative of yourself. It's not just I've done this once, right? But this indicates who I am, what I am, right? So this is for yourself, if we, and so to, to translate, we could translate this literally into English, and it would sound really funny, which is why we don't. So if we translated this literally into English, it would say, you shall for yourself be knowing the truth. You shall know the truth, right? That's a little easier. But we miss a little something. We just miss a little something. You shall be knowing the truth. You shall always constantly be discovering more of the truth because Christ is this thread and is so deep and is so much underneath it. Know the truth. Constantly be discovering things about Christ. Well, that brings us to discovery. So let's talk about discovery. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This week, Monday. What day was Monday? Columbus Day. Yeah, okay, there's one. Okay, here we go. I don't like either one of those. I don't like either one of those for two reasons. Well, for one reason each. There's a little conflict over that, right? Some people don't like change. I don't care about change. That doesn't bother me. I'd be okay with Indigenous People's Day if, if they shortened it up or had it easier to say. I'd be okay with change. I just... I, I can't go around saying Happy Indigenous People's Day. There's too many syllables for me. I don't need, like, I'm from Massachusetts, and I don't even say all the syllables in my own state. Right? <laughs> Just shorten it up. I'm, I'm okay with change. 
On the other hand, I don't really much like Columbus Day because I just hate the lack of truth in that holiday. I hate the lack of truth. I, I just know too much. I have evolved past elementary school where I know that, Christ, that Columbus did not set foot on the United States of America. Why do we have a holiday for it? He made four trips. None of them did he land here. If I lived in the Bahamas, wonderful. <laughs> I also know that Columbus, contrary to my elementary school teachers, did not discover that the earth was round. That happened 300 years before Christ, and they correctly calculated the size of the earth. Columbus was not a scientist. He was a conquistador. They were murderers. If you want to read about what he did, read about what he did. By the way, while we're at it, Amerigo Vespucci didn't discover North America either. He changed his name. His name was Alberico. He stole a map and killed John Cabot. That's a different story. Once you learn the truth, we are now faced with an obstacle. Do we just keep on? It's just easier to say Columbus Day. It's just easy. It rolls off my tongue. Once we know the truth with Christ, is it easy just to... Now I've got to confront all these things in my life. I've learned some true doctrine about Christ. Or I've learned something. Do I just stay with what I had because it's easier? Or do I confront change in my life? Discovery takes effort. I might have to not just change, but change actions. I might have to defend the truth, which we're going to talk about in just a second. I might have to relearn. I might have to admit that people who taught me were incorrect. I might have to evolve beyond Bible college. There's a lot of implications. So maybe it's just easier for me to say Columbus Day. So... Attention. That brings us to attention. Philippians 3, 9 through 11. Uh, it says, Be found in him not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, I might share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Very simply, if I know Jesus, if I know the truth, I'm, I'm willing and I'm able to recognize, I'm paying attention to things. I, uh, a person, I won't say who, not, no one here, most people here don't know that person, probably. Uh, my wife was in an email chain or a text chain, whatever, uh, and, and they sent a text. They were all excited, and, and I pay attention to, to when, what people get excited religiously about. And I always ask my question, is this what Christ died for? They were all excited about LED backlighting neon strips that were behind the stage of their church 
building stage thing. That's what they're, I, and I'm looking at it and I was like, that had to be tens of thousands of dollars. Is that what Jesus died for? Once I'm familiar with Christ, I ask questions. Is, does this meet this? Be attentive. When people get up in arms about something or they have this teaching or they're requiring people to do this, and is that what Jesus died for? Is that what Jesus died for? Lastly, I mentioned this, but in the discovery of truth, I might need to champion something. And this is what, this is what causes people sometimes to back off. I might be required to, to say something now that I know something. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says, But your hearts honor Christ as the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that lies within. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Champion and be prepared to champion the truth. Christ, the substance. But to do so, Christ has to be put in a special place in my heart. We occasionally <clears throat> have conflicts in our relationships. Right? I uh, was visiting a, a good friend uh, one time, and I had grown up in the same church as him. Really good friend, just a couple of years older than me. And, um, we were visiting, we were on a trip around the country when we come back from from overseas, we'd come and travel around. We, we have to be uh, stopping with his family. In, in doing so, we got talking about things, and uh, he had a really bad view of another person that I know. That person was the best man in my wedding. I'm conflicted. I know this guy really well, and this guy really well, and I feel caught between, and so I find myself trying to defend this to that, and we're conflicted, aren't we? relationships come like that. In our lives, we may face that conflict. Now, that's the humans, and, and, and I don't know who was right, and maybe both of them were a little wrong or whatever. That's one thing. But, but in our relationship, sometimes we, we get to, to where there's a... I'm like, well, I'm a Christian, and I have this relationship with Christ, and this person has a problem with something about God or something like that. And, and God says, are you my champion? Will you defend me to that person? Or is that attachment to that person closer and you're just going to lay low? Because God's not wrong. In that relationship, I can know who's not wrong. Christ has to be given a special place. That's the key to being a champion. Christ has to be given the special place where he's never wrong. And I am willing to champion whatever and defend him at any moment. Be ready to give a defense. I'm prepared to give a defense. Because I have been attentive and because I have discovered the substance of truth. So we're going to close. I'm a little over time with a couple questions. Just a couple questions to leave you with. Do I need to regroup? Do I, do I need to refocus and say... Um, where, where is something, where, where's my effort gone off? I, I, I 
I've lost some effort. I've lost some passion. Where has that happened? In my life. Is it, is, it in, uh, is it in the willingness to champion or is it in the willingness to discover? To just go along with, with what I've always thought and what I've always said and what I've always heard. To quote other people. Where do I need to regroup my efforts? And second, how acquainted with Christ am I? How well do I know the truth? If I've heard the truth, well, I've heard factual statements. Am I acquainted with the truth? How close to the truth am I? Have I given my life to the truth? Have I said, I want to be connected to the truth? If you're not a Christian, you have a distant relationship with the truth. You might know some facts. You might know some true things, but you might need to make that connection to personally know the truth. Take these two challenges with you as we close this morning.